Top of the hour on the hour. This is a Pitbull Hour with your boys Mike and Randy. It's going down. Oh, you can say that again. Because we all just want to be... Wicker, 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 wicker. It's tricky. It's tricky. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, uh, is this the right studio? Excuse me. Just kidding. Um, Is it just me or... um... All right. All right, Um, and moving on. Liz, ladies and gentlemen, uh, it says here in the news uh, at the San Diego Zoo, a tiger got cut loose. Um, yeah, he got cut loose, and he ran straight to the popsicle stand. He was very, um, he was very parched. He was very hot. The hot weather in San Diego. Um, next up, uh, there it seems to be. You know, you hear about all these earthquakes happening in L.A., where I am located, and um, you know, there's all these earthquakes and. Uh, the 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 uh, they say the worst place to be in a um, in an earthquake is the library. Really, they 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 say that. Who says that? They say that it's the worst place to be um, is in a library because um, it's the you know <laughs> in the stacks. <laughs> yeah, they got all the stacks. They'll. Uh, it's the last place you want to be found jerking off during an earthquake. Is, oh, that, is, hey. what, I, is what I think the writer meant to write on mm. that one, uh, because the stacks will will. You, you ever press a leaf in a book? Uh, no, I don't. I I did a lot of hand turkeys in my day. I don't know that we ever did any leaf mm. pressing in, in the old craft okay. class. Okay. Well, I'm sure somebody in the audience has, and uh, we will let them use their imagination. What right happens in. when you stay? When you stay in a library during an earthquake. That's a library during an earthquake. Bennett! Hey! (laughs) (laughs) We're back! What the hell? Still got it! Hey, how the hell are you, my friend? Good to see you. I am too good. I I got a searchlight through my bedroom window and a warm feeling in my stomach. Ooh, I'm sipping on a warm beer. And I can't see my feet anymore. <laughs> now, uh, you want to sip on that? Bennett, you, you should stay sipping on Enjoy that warm beer while it's still legal. Ooh. Mm. Now, if we had a drummer, he would be... I will uh, put that in in post. Um, now, what I brought you here today to talk about, Bennett, is... How do I put this into human words? It's a movie called The Beguile oh, from hey. uh, 2017. Yeah, see, the, <laughs> I had never seen the movie. All I remember about this movie was uh, Sofia Coppola's apology on IndieWire. Uh, truly the ninth circle of hell. <laughs> now, right before we get to the apology, I want to bring, a, bring up a few words from our sponsors. Ladies and gentlemen, this episode of Real Rap is brought to you by Split Tooth. Split Tooth is a proud sponsor of uh, Neiman Marcus and uh, Smith and Wesson. <laughs> once again, once again, uh, you're, you're you are listening to Real Rap, hosted by Split Tooth. Welcome back to the. Fuck hour on Real Rap. <laughs> You're listening to Benny G and the Sprite. 
I'm wet. And we're <laughs> Bennett. You said something. Now, last last we talked, we, you said something about a uh, an apology. Uh, now, why would somebody, a grown woman, have to apologize for a movie like The Beguiled, a hit? Well, in 2017, I think a lot of people found the narrative to be really whitewashing. It's the story about exclusively white people uh, mm-hmm. set during the Civil War, and the uh, the subject of slavery is basically dispatched with one line uh, very early in mm-hmm. the film. Uh, the slaves left is kind okay. of here. Um, mm. I hate. I got one problem here. Should I wait? <laughs> no, no, go ahead. <laughs> okay. It's a movie about slave owners, former slave owners. And Colin Farrell, a Union soldier, perhaps, perhaps mercenary, not really a movie about slaves. Um, yeah, much like with like the Coen brothers and other filmmakers who often get tagged as like being uh, interested in mm-hmm. exclusively white milieu. I can't say that I'm all that intrigued by what Sofia Coppola would have to say about the black experience during the Civil War. I don't know that she's really the director right. to be making that movie. <laughs> so I don't really begrudge her 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 focusing on rich white people once again. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, look at her career. She's staying true to her colors here. She's I, I have a strong feeling she went back to the uh, the old Civil War days because she liked the gowns so damn much. And boy, fucking howdy, does this setting <laughs> flatter her her interests? The Spanish moss, oh, these man. long dresses, yeah. oh, molto fucking bene. Does Sofia Coppola make a movie you want to live in? Oh, and you can feel the heat. Here's a movie with such a like a <sighs> sense of heat coming off of it. Oh, it feels like muggy, doesn't it? Don't you feel like you're getting like oh, yeah. mosquito bites when you watch this movie? Oh yeah, yeah. I uh, I feel like I'm in the dang swamp. Yeah, hey, the drain Everglades. that swamp. I'll tell you what. And you know what hey, they do? Hey, Bennett, okay? <laughs> I'm going to cut you off right there, okay? Do not say anything more. We are anti-swamp uh, training on this podcast. Sorry, folks. Bennett! Bennett, <laughs> please! Uh, like I was saying, um, I feel like we learn a lot, a lot of new things about Sophia here. She doesn't when she's when she goes for the atmosphere it's usually indoors as far and, to, and with, with the exception of virgin suicides when she is um when she shows a tree getting cut down now maybe she's getting back to her roots that's a little that's a little uh line i had written there pun very much um, intended ah very nice that's yeah. a pun intended there okay nice you don't see those very and, often and, and and that's not the that's not going to be the last you hear of those tonight on this uh special hour of real rap okay mm, boy yoing. um i yeah we do see more of the natural world here but i think it's very telling that almost every time we see the outside we're also shown kind of an establishing shot of like pillars of the house that they're in and the nature that mm-hmm. we're seeing, besides when Una Lawrence goes out to like pick mushrooms, is is, is it's a garden. It's a very like cultivated, very um, mm. sequestered piece of nature. Mm. You know, right? Yeah. Even the uh, even the woods where she's out picking chanterelles is a pretty happy little grove she's got there. Uh, isn't this movie so beautiful to look at? It is. Uh, well, okay. 
two roads diverged in a uh, really lush ass wood, Bennett. And uh, where I'm going to diverge with you here is <laughs> to say that this movie is beautiful is to ignore the glaring fact that she forgot to light the indoors, old Sophia. It is dark as shit, and I kept adjusting my phone. Yes, I watch this on my phone. Sorry, Martin Scorsese. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. The, Sorry, Marty. The inside is very dark. I kind of like it. I like that it's very, like, uh, uh, yeah. it feels like it's authentically occupying those spaces. I don't know. Everything being, like, yeah. exclusively candle lit. I could have used a little bit of uh, just highlights on their faces. I, I, I found myself pressed up to the damn screen. Yeah, with, I had my greasy nose pressed up against my iPhone 4, but I also, uh-huh. I like that it's very much, and, and to, to the point of them like erasing this, uh, Sophia erasing this slave from the narrative, these are women who are kind of shutting themselves off from what's going on around. You know what I mean? Our only experience of the Civil War, besides the the rare um, soldiers who, who, who walk outside the gates, is just like the, the, the cannon sound in the background. These are women who are shutting mm-hmm. themselves off, so it makes sense that they would be you know, in the dark. I mean, part of the reason why it's in the dark is because they're constantly closing the shades, you know? I mean, they're very, really, oh, yes. you know, locking themselves in. Just as um, Ron Howard with his hit piece, In the Heart of the Sea, showed mm. us what it would, show us how bad it might smell to uh, live underneath a massive sail for six months, uh, Sofia Coppola shows us how dark it is inside the um, big-ass plantation houses of the 1860s. Great cast. Slave owner Nicole Kidman brings us an excellent performance as a head lady. <laughs> and um, young Republican Elle Fanning gives a dashing uh, sophomore, <laughs> she seems like a sophomore, a sophomore performance as um, the young, now I won't, Say what I'm thinking. Bennett, what do you call someone like Elf Fanning in this movie? Uh, um, kind of vivacious. <laughs> um, a little... A, a David Edelstein type critic might say like temptress or something. Something really like lascivious. <laughs> mm, mm-hmm. She, uh, similar to some of the characters in Virgin Suicides, similar to Kirsten Dunst's character, which, remember that name. I'm going to put a pin in it for now. Similar to Kirsten Dunst's wait, character Wait, 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 in... wait, wait, Kirsten Dunst. Wait. Well, I... what are you going to say? That name jogs my memory. I, I have a feeling she's perennially underrated. <laughs> Sorry, continue. Now, that's the second, <laughs> that's the second thing I was going to say about her tonight. But for now, put it, um, like I said, we're going to put a pin in it. Ow! Ooh, careful! <laughs> By that we mean in my side. Ow! Oh! Ben, I meant put a pin in the corkboard I set up for you. Now, did, are you using the damn corkboard I sent you? Not yet, sorry. Ay, ay, ay! I can't, I never, I'll never learn. <laughs> uh, you won't, will ya? That's kind of a... Okay. Um, the she kind of, Elle Fanning, what was the word he said? Levocious? Well, the I Levocious said, I said character. A lascivious critic might use the word temptress to describe her. <laughs> now, Bennett, you don't want to call people like Elle Fanning a critter. She is a grown oh, it's a woman. Character. It's a character. <laughs> um, <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> now I'm just going to get out and say it. Elle Fanning plays a character like Kirsten Dunst plays 
in the movie Virgin Suicide. Sort of the, among the sisters, the one that's a little more luring. Alluring. She's got a look to her. She's maybe a little more silent than the rest of them, but she's got a, uh, she's got kind of, she's got a snake in the grass type attitude. Um, I, I'm hoping that that is not some type of racial or anti-Semitic uh, type thing that I'm saying, but I'm going to go uh, retreat forward, is what, <laughs> what uh, my, my mentor says. Um, she kind of attracts Colin Farrell in a different way. Now, the name of the game of this movie is Who's Gonna Fuck Him First? I turned to my girlfriend while we were watching this, and she said those exact words to me, and I said, thank you. Because that's exactly what I'm thinking for the first uh, 25 minutes. Is he going to fuck one of the babies first? Is he going to fuck the mama? Is he going to fuck the one in between? Who who did you think it was going to be? Because they do kind of spoil it in the trailer. One, one thing I'll say about this movie is the trailer was, um, I, I won't say unusually revealing, because trailers these days, mm. uh, <laughs> they give away everything. Am I right, folks? But um, <laughs> this one was... Everything uh, but the... Uh, but the- the kitchen sink using every part of the pig everything but the oink <laughs> I'll tell you yeah that. Huh. taking yeah. a taking a line out of the uh, native american book like my like my preferred presidential candidate <laughs> elizabeth warren now bennett i'm gonna uh <laughs> stop you right there and ask you to stick to the script here yeah, sorry Slave owner Nicole Kidman plays a... Okay, I said that one. Um, virulent racist Kirsten Dunst. <laughs> uh, virulent racist Kirsten Dunst. Thank you. She's getting up there. Well, I think that's what we're meant to understand about her character is that she's sort of old to be unmarried. Um, the desperation with which she approaches Colin Farrell. And I think it mm. it gives a lot of the charge to their conversations. Um, I hate to make this the podcast where I... Oh, I hate to make this the season where I'm just shitting on ICC's takes on Sofia Coppola's movies, but they both agreed that Colin Farrell is in nothing in the, the role originally played by Clint Eastwood. Uh, what? <laughs> I have to disagree. He's a Benny nominee for Best Lead Actor uh, for mm-hmm. 2017 for this movie. I think he's incredible. I think every single one of his interactions with uh, one of the women in the school is really um, fraught and... Uh, I don't know. You feel disgusting. I mean, like this movie already makes you feel sweaty. You want to take a shower every time you're in like the room with Colin Farrell because there's such a oh, weird, yeah. like scuzzy charisma to everything he does. And then when the movie takes a turn, he actually becomes uh, a villain. Uh, it's it, mm-hmm. it's all the more effective that he was that. Alone and it's believable. Yeah, yeah. I um, I think I think one of the fun tropes of this sort of story that the movie flips on its head is the, is the old kind of victorian novel trope of the woman in the attic uh you know most famously exemplified in jane eyre i think here we have the 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 man in the in the music room you know who's this very late in the film he becomes literally just this like shouting like ogre from another room that they're all Mm -hmm. like kind of cowering in fear from it's um i don't know i I think this is a more interesting much like all of her films a more interesting film than people gave it credit for upon uh initial release although she won the best director award at Cannes after getting booed for the last time she was a can. Hmm? Yeah. Hey, take you know, that. all I could think of was don't, the game. The, the game Don't Wake Daddy leaves so much up to the player. Uh huh. Yeah. What happens when you wake up, Daddy? <sighs> it's like the, like I said before, it's like the the blank part of the page at the end of a poem. Now, in the 2017's <laughs> very own The Beguiled, 
Sophia Coppola gives you exactly um, the situation that you could come to expect at the end of a game of Don't Wake Daddy. You got a damn werewolf up in the music room clamoring around, mm-hmm. breaking God knows what. Ooh. Just got the dang piano tuned up. <laughs> <laughs> or the harpsichord or whatever, and yeah, you can uh, you can pretty much bet that that thing's not gonna be playing old uh, chopsticks after uh, Colin Farrell is done with it. Am I right or am I right, Bennett? Uh, Give yeah. me some drums. <laughs> hey, let me just clear my throat directly into the mic as I'm one to do. They should have called it The Others too. how dark this thing was. Yeah, well, Nicole Kidman is born to play roles like this, really. This is very much, she's wearing, she probably could have used their same wardrobe from The Others. Um very sort of similar again a movie about uh-huh. someone who's consciously cutting closing the shades at every moment oh she <laughs> loves slamming those if you know if you could sl- um i'd like to slam a door with the gusto she has slamming shades around this house it's like every other minute boom 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 it's great about slamming shades is uh you know you get in a fight with your wife you go slam some shades she's got no idea but you're still getting the dang anger out <laughs> There is something really satisfying, though, to after a fight, slamming like a car door, <laughs> slamming a door. Oh, it's, yeah. It's one of the more impotently gratifying feelings in the world. It's one of those uh-huh. life's simple pleasures when you've gotten some petty victory and you could slam a door behind you. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, uh, a, it's, um, it's only now and then you ever get to slam a door. You know, I really um, was interested by the... Uh, there's a moment in the movie where we start to see a landscape through these shades that we experience so much in this movie. And the sh- by shades, I'm referring to the long drapes in front of the windows, uh, you know, similar to the types of drapery worn around the hips of every woman in this movie. And yes, they match the uh, curtains. I'm going to let you fill in uh, what old Bennett's talking about there. It was at that moment, seeing the the slow pan of this uh Florida or Georgian landscape through those uh, those drapes. Virginia. They're all the same. Um, and I can say that because it is my country and I am American. Land of my birth. And it's, <laughs> it was when I saw the landscape. Now I'm making a point here. This is, um, keep your ears perked. I'm listening. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Shane is putting a spoon on his nose <laughs> seeing if it stays in place uh, i learned from the film uh, mom's gonna date with a vampire that this is how you determine if someone is a vampire or not uh shane is <laughs> testing himself okay it appears he's not a vampire shane continue <laughs> after you see the land the virginian landscape through those drapes i it clicked with me it clicked in my head like a bunch of gears locking into place oh. as if it were the movie uh, modern times ah. Sophia's saying something about the nature of drapery, how it hides, how it reveals, how things are seen through the fabric. That's all I got. Woo! <laughs> you know, <laughs> speaking of drapes, you know what that reminds me of? I remember watching what? watching Mad Men season one with my family one time, and this would, this would have been like my fourth time through Mad Men season one, but probably like my mom uh-huh. and my brother's first. And I remember very drunkenly to like my dad and my mom, both of them just growing more and more appalled, going, 
You see, his name is Don Draper. Don, as in to put something on, as in a disguise. Draper, cover his thing. Drape. I, I just remember my dad. I remember saying it like wow. ten times. My dad being like, "Yeah, we got it." Drape. <laughs> oh man. I mean, once you hit that goal, you gotta ride that thing to the freaking coffin. I never thought of that. Choo choo. Ah, uh, and they are lowering <laughs> me into the grave, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. It's been wonderful here. I've loved being a host of Real Rap. I've mostly hated being a human being on this planet otherwise. Thank you. Parading down the street with bagpipes for my funeral. You know, they do that for every shit boy. In they they say starting uh, st- getting into a movie uh, in the uh, in the middle of the action is called in medias res. Now the first time I heard that I said, uh, "Buddy, I just scraped my bowl. You're not going to get anything out of that thing." pencil like Letterman. Wow. That's the funniest thing you've ever said. Thank you, <laughs> thank you for the compliment on the last episode, Shane. And now I want to repay it in full. That's the funniest thing okay. <laughs> You know, uh, it's uh, days like these mm. is something you usually say after someone says something like that. Uh, another, I've got another insight, Bennett. Drum roll, please. <laughs> Sophia Coppola mm-hmm. seems to have a fixation. Uh-huh. Might I even go on to say an obsession? I'm listening. With the idea of the peanut gallery. All throughout this movie, we have events followed by a series of opinion as if that event was filtered through the perspective of each and every one of the women and girls of this film. Much like the landscape and the house itself is experienced through the medium of drape. Yeah, no, that is a good insight. Pow! Boing! It's also very in keeping with the way that she's tended to filter um, experience in her other movies. I mean, we, we experience mm-hmm. so many of event, so many of the events of Marie Antoinette through the the court gossip in Versailles. We obviously experience the lives of the Lisbon family through the the peanut gallery across the street. Those disgusting, horny little teens. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, she loves this sort of uh, collective perspective that comes from like gossip and like half understandings. And, uh, yeah, uh, mo- most of it not well-meaning. <laughs> now let's take a look back. How far has Sophia come? How far have yeah? Woo, imagine going through a time a, a wormhole is what they're called. Is pe- people the likes of Carl Sagan call it a wormhole these days, where the fabric of reality will take you to a time in a different different time, a different time and time space. Imagine you're in that Christopher Nolan film Interstellar, and you're going through. Uh... <laughs> What Matthew McConaughey himself once called a wormhole. <laughs> now, when I say the words wormhole, you're probably thinking of when you uh, look between your legs at the mirror. But I'll, I'm going to stop you right there and correct you. It is a, a space term, and it's yeah. what I'm going to bring you through right now. Now, give me another drum roll. Ooh, um, 
Now through that wormhole, it's so distract. So it's such a good beat. I got distracted. So you get through that wormhole. Look, let's look. Let's go back. Virgin suicides. We have even before that. Lick the star. We've oh, got yeah. on screen action and voice over narration from the peanut gallery commenting on the events that take place on screen. Now it doesn't stop there. Virgin suicides. Everything that we witness is understood through the perspective of these horny little boys. Now, those boys have personalities unto themselves, and so do the girls in that story. But I would venture to say the girls in that story, although they are draped in the same fashion as the women of 1864 Virginia in the movie The Beguiled, do kind of all fall under the same umbrella of adolescent girl with some quirks to her personality. I would say that Sofia Coppola in 2017, 2017's very own The Beguiled has developed a sense of character far deeper than any of the other choruses that we've met throughout films like Virgin Suicides, like uh, like like the idea of Hollywood or uh, famous people in Lost in Translation or like in or like the the kind of overall court or the general public of Marie Antoinette. All of those people all kind of fell under the same umbrella, whereas in The Beguiled, the girls all are under the same roof, but experience the world very uniquely, which I think gets emphasized by the idea that perhaps all these girls are from different families. Perhaps they're all from different backgrounds. What we do know is that they're all at different stages of womanhood. And I think Colin Farrell acts as an incredible lightning rod to these uh to to the experience of e- that each woman is going through at that specific time of their life and the way that each woman ap- and girl approaches Colin Farrell gives us a, a extremely enlightening view into um the nature of that character yeah it's one of the things that's so frightening about his character and also so impressive about the performance is, is the degree to which he changes up character he's playing in, in conversations with all of mm-hmm. the different uh, mm-hmm. residents of Miss Farnsworth's school. I do think it's also a testament to the, the screenplay uh, that they're all characterized so fully with just a couple of mm-hmm. scenes each, really. Um, you've got uh, the girl who's the sort of outdoorsy one who finds him. You've got the girl who's got mm. the especially rich parents who's so confident that if she wanted to, she could be escorted away at any time you've got the girl who's just mm-hmm. trying to uh just trying to get into the fun it's just kind of stirring shit and then you've got mm-hmm. obviously l fanning who's the oldest of the bunch who is probably the most uh sexually attracted to colin farrell um it's it's really a great dynamic and she she builds all those characters and builds that dynamic again through snippets really i mean this movie is only 93 mm. minutes long this movie does so much in 93 minutes also the credits are like nine minutes long <laughs> this movie's like <laughs> 85 minutes long <laughs> it's a it's a breeze blink and you'll miss it hey. uh bennett you mentioned the 
ability that you mentioned the script. Colin Farrell, think of think, people. You, you're telling me people are going around saying, "Oh, Colin Farrell, that's Colin Farrell. That Colin Farrell's a dud. Colin Farrell's a dud." Okay, Imagine, it's an insane opinion. It's, it's, it's like it's it's, it's like rain on your wet. It's like uh, enjoying um, cake funfetti in your cake. Mm. Imagine Colin Farrell's script, sparse. What is there to what 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 does he say in the first thirty minutes of this movie? Besides, yes, ma'am, thank you, ma'am. How sh- high should I dang jump, ma'am? But we get a unique sense of his, uh, you know, his potential, his potential for maybe some uh, foul play. I would say that this movie operates almost like a play. Um, yeah, it is, it, it's single setting, uh, which certainly ties it back to the play, uh, to, to the idea of a play. It's, it's somewhat stage bound. I really would like to see, uh, the original film, uh, Clint Eastwood plays the Colin Farrell role. And, um, Clint Eastwood's first directorial effort was actually, uh, kind of making of featurette about this film. I think this is kind of where he caught the directing huh. bug, interestingly enough possibly a future real rap topic Clint Eastwood uh he has the unfortunate distinction of having directed 75 films so uh if we wanted to devote mm. a year and a half to Clint Eastwood's ugh, maybe after he, <laughs> maybe when he dies maybe we could uh I don't know pick out 10 Clint Eastwood movies worth covering problem is there are so goddamn many worth covering um I don't know if you've seen the trailer for Richard Jewell they should have called it Richard Jewell J-U-U-L because it feels like a hit of nicotine Watching the trailer, Dicky Dicky Jewel, and Dick they call, Jewel. They call me I've Dick got Ju- a Dick Jewel. <laughs> <laughs> It'll make your lung collapse. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a kidney stone. That's my Dick Jewel. <laughs> the more I watch Sofia Coppola, the more I feel she's she's kind of prodding at me, poking at me, making references here and there, ones that I might get, ones that I might not. With the gun locked away in the uh, in the uh, in the little vestibule there. Now tell me she's not making a reference to Anton Chekhov with that dang thing. Yep, yeah. Uh, Kidman asked for the shells from the passing uh, rebel soldiers mm-hmm. early on in the film. Mm-hmm. You know that gun's gonna go off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and did, did you find yourself when Colin says like I've got six shots left, like doing the math, like okay, well, can't shoot everybody. <laughs> <laughs> And then he wastes one on the goddamn chandelier. I, I'm going to oh swing from the God, chandelier. Yeah. Well, hey, it seems like Colin Farrell's going <laughs> to shoot that chandelier before I get the privilege. Hey. A move over, see There's a new <laughs> chandelier swinger in Hollywood. Oh, and his name? Colin James Farrell. <laughs> Stay tuned to E Tonight for the, uh, for the full scoop on this. We got Ryan Seacrest in a tell-all interview with Colin Farrell. He's talking the sex tape. He's talking Miami Vice. He's talking everything, baby. He's talking SWAT. He's finally <laughs> breaking the, his silence on SWAT. Yeah, fucking, I fucking thought to uh, yeah, fucking kill the... I fucking busted down an old lady's doors to uh, get into the character. As, as an Irishman, did you like finally getting some Irish representation on film, Shane? <laughs> I fucking, uh, um, I forgot I was Irish. 
Uh, I like when he says uh, use at the end when he's waving around the gun. So, oh, 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 he turns it and he, he, he's been keeping the, the Irish accent. And thankfully, because Colin Farrell is a very good actor, but he's not someone who successfully hides his Irish accent very often. So much mm. like Liam Neeson, mm-hmm. they'll often write in that his character is from like Dublin or he's <laughs> like a fairly recent yeah. immigrant. Um, I like uh-huh. that they, they have that <laughs> built into this character. Thank God so we don't have to explain away his, his heavy Irish brogue. But I thought it was weird that when he finally like breaks bad toward the end, it becomes like villain of the piece that he dipped into a Philly accent when he was going, yeah, I'll kill mm. all you. <laughs> Terrible. I'll kill all you. I, I can't do it. I'm focusing too hard on it. I can't do it. But he says, use guys. I'll kill all you guys. Use all guys. Use guys. Use. They, and you know what really He's set hungry. him off? It was not the, the broken and amputated leg. It was, they like, uh, they like Pat, Gino's guy. He likes the slightly oh, less racist da, pizza da, shop. Da, That's da, a differentiator. <laughs> How about when they all sit around uh, the dinner table? Colin Farrell suddenly, uh, suddenly, part of the uh, part of the festivities here. Everyone's wearing silk. Now tell me, this ain't a fabric movie? When what you a- see every dang lady in this movie dressed in shiny ass silk. What a fucking amazing sequence that is. It almost reminded me of... You've seen Nashville, right? Mm, no. Oh, well, there's an amazing scene in Nashville where uh, Keith Carradine's character, who's this sort of cad, uh, plays mm-hmm. the song I'm Easy. It won the Oscar for Best Original Song. And Robert Altman kind of makes a meal of looking around the room and kind of every woman there thinking it's about her because, like, four of the four <laughs> of the people are characters who it's been established uh-huh. that Keith Carradine has slept with. And um, I, I thought that was, it was almost, it was a lot, it reminded me a lot of that sequence, that the, the first dinner when they bring um, Colin Farrell to the table and everyone is uh-huh. kind of fighting for his affection and everyone is kind of wondering, oh, was that, was that glance at me? You know, was that, is that little like comment about me? And I, they, they make a big point of Kirsten Dunst showing her shoulders and Nicole Kidman makes her put on her shawl. Oh, great stuff. As someone who loves oh, yeah. button-down bullshit, you know I love this shit. <laughs> you know I was like... Uh-huh. I've been thinking about stealing uh, Boy Scout Valor, uh, doing that handshake where you grab Ooh, the other person's yeah. wrist, doing the mm-hmm. Boy Scout handshake. I remember yeah. the one time I had to accept an award on stage for the Boy Scouts not knowing that that was the handshake and having uh, <laughs> the guy whose toilet I clogged dad's, like, his dad wow. grab my wrist and just being kind of like unnerved by it, being like, wow, Jesus. <laughs> A real, uh, a real catch me if you can moment. Whoa! Here I am. Whoa! Yeah. You're like, uh, of course I know the handshake. It was a real like record scratch. Record scratch. Like, <laughs> it was at this moment that I knew I was beep, beeped. Yeah. You truly can't win them all. Now, I, have you seen Phantom Thread? Yeah. Okay, so then you know what I'm gonna say, probably. Now, I have no idea what you're gonna say. This is one of three movies that came out in 2017 that culminates in women poisoning a man with mushrooms. Oh, um, yeah. What's the, what's the third? Uh, Lady Macbeth, which is so good. Ooh. Uh, Florence Pugh's kind of breakout. Florence Pugh, I've been trying to get a screenshot of, do you remember in uh, A Woman Under the Influence where um, they're, they're having the spaghetti dinner? Of course you remember it. The spaghetti mm. breakfast. And, How could I forget? Um, Mabel keeps going up to that one guy going like, God, this is a great face. This is what I call a great face. I keep trying <laughs> yeah. to find that snapshot. And I want to tweet it with like me looking at pictures of Florence Pugh. Um, she truly has the most like perfect face for cinema I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh-huh. Um, 
Okay. Yeah. Sorry to get lascivious here on Real Rap. As you know, you know we're two, we're two horn dogs. Oh, oh! The buck don't stop there, Bennett. Hey, hey and I got buckshot in my uh, in both of my legs. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> when she's pulling the little pieces of bullet out of his like, where did she get that little crappy dish she's throwing it into? Did she already have some like Civil War surgeon? Not to be the cinema sense guy, but did she already have some Civil War surgeon's like <laughs> shrapnel dish? It's this gross, like rusty ass. Like, oh my hey. goodness. You mentioned John Cassavetes and the spaghetti dinner. Bennett, do you remember? Now, this is a stretch. Do you remember when I said that in somewhere yes, they were pulling yeah, into John Cassavetes' house or what looked like that? It seems, I, it looks like his house. It looks a lot like his house. I'm here to tell you that that might be confirmed by the credit sequence of this movie. Our old friend at Split Tooth, Brett, texted me today. He said, Shane, when I watched Somewhere, I thought the exact same thing. That's wild. That looks like John Cassavetti's house. And I said, okay, that's a coincidence. I watch The Beguiled, 2017's own The Beguiled, and in the special thanks, one Zan Cassavetti's is thanked. Zan Cassavetti's, a.k.a. Alexandra Cassavetes, a.k.a. sister of Nick Cassavetes, a.k.a. daughter of John Cassavetes, a.k.a. best friend of Sofia Coppola. That's crazy. That's all I got. She was married to Rick Ross for about 10 years. The rapper? Rich Richard David Ross. Yes, she was. Hard to believe. I tried following her on Instagram. It's private. She wants nothing to do with me. Anyway, it's quite possible that she owns John's house now and uh and the 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 somewhere house thing is some elaborate joke about that house and um, something that no- nobody in the audience could ever uh, hope to divine. I found that this movie, The Beguiled, uh, kind of like indulges all of the sensibilities of Sophia, <laughs> but she is able to put behind her her kind of. Uh, grudges she has with everyone by putting it in a different time period there's not a all the kind of topical jokes about hollywood and about hollywood culture and she's able to kind of stick to the put the priority on the events of the film without referencing the outside which makes for i think the last half to be extremely exciting because she's able to develop the film outside of just kind of poking fun at these different parties, making inside jokes. You know, maybe I'm reducing it. But this movie flips the dang script halfway through. Yeah, I um, I, I, I would agree that I, I like Sofia Coppola far more when she's working in a period setting and when she has to sort mm. of approach those uh, Hollywood obsessions uh, from a more irregular angle. Um, I, mm-hmm. I think her three great films is what I would call them. Uh, 
Marie Antoinette, Virgin Suicides, and The Beguiled are all period pieces. And then I think, well, I think Laws in Translation and, and Somewhere are very good films. I don't think they compare to these three. No, I don't. I agree with you. I think, uh, I feel like Somewhere is, is her chef. Yeah, yeah, and first Cow is Kelly Reichard's chef. I can't wait for you to see it in a good way, in a good way. <laughs> Just because so much oh, of the plot is literally the plot of Chef. It's these two guys figuring out like a recipe and just fucking like duping all the rubes. <laughs> so good. Like part of the part of the plot of First Cow is them basically running like a food truck. Oh, <laughs> oh god, it's so good. First Cow, of course, is Kelly Reichard's new movie that we we're all very excited for. Uh, Bennett saw it. Did she speak at the screening? She did. Yeah, she did a Q and A. She introduced the film as well. Uh, and Larry yeah. Fessenden and Peggy Awish were in attendance. No uh, way! Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Did they ask questions? Uh no, no. It was uh, just Dennis Lim, the, uh, the the programmer, and then um, they did some audience questions, which were mostly, uh, mostly you love what to you hear. Would expect. I tried to yeah. I tried to get uh, my hand in the mic so I could say. Uh, so this is more of a comment. Uh, listen to real rap, and uh, and then and then ask my question. Um, <laughs> so is Larry Fessenden as uh, kind of mutated looking in person? <laughs> I didn't get a glimpse of him. I just know she said that Larry Fessenden and Peggy Alwish were in attendance. He's another person gotcha. we could maybe cover on real rap. Actually, he would have been a good person to cover during October because he's made I think exclusively horror films. Um, Ooh, his yeah. new movie Depraved is great. I highly recommend. Mm. You live in a city that actually gets movies, so you could maybe see. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He produced Wendy and Lucy. Yeah, yeah, and he's in uh, River Grass. Oh the, uh, male shit! Yeah. Yeah, Completely he forgot. Smokes a cigarette with his feet. At one you remember? Or no, he passes <laughs> a cigarette to uh, the female uh-huh. lead with his feet. She smokes it with her feet, which is uh... <laughs> whoa! <laughs> hey, wipe me down. Uh, I'd like to uh, take a moment to thank Ty Pennington for all the work he did on Extreme Home Makeover. I'd like to thank him for all the work he did on my house. I gotta say, when I <laughs> when they moved that bus, I never thought I would cry from oh a bus. Oh my god! Moment, but wow. Uh huh. Uh huh. I I feel that Bennett. Uh, the torque on that thing. Good lord. <laughs> it wasn't so much the house behind the bus it was just seeing that bus chug along fine American oh my god <laughs> yeah no no yeah it's not about the the the, the interesting thing about the the cultural touch the uh the uh the 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 crucial moment of um you know we're just like in the three stooges it's not funny that they break a three million dollar vase it's funny that they say now this is a three million dollar vase please do not touch it i've it's got all the sentimental value the thing with extreme home makeover is you're not looking for the the, the house looks like shit it looks even worse than before it's got fucking monte carlo fucking design by some fucking idiot carpenter it's got you're neon there. beer signs in the window it's oh it's yeah. gosh it's gross <laughs> Got oh, the man so cave. What you're what you're sitting in your stand for is to watch that fucking bus move. It doesn't mm. matter what it's revealing. The fact that this bus is doing the revealing action is uh, it's why we uh, it's why we do this. It's uh, Bennett, would you pass me the bread and butter? Oh wait, that's the bus moving out of the way. That's why you audit. <laughs> um, 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this movie very much does, has has a similar like. Now this Ming vase is worth three million dollars. Just in terms of like, you don't know what's gonna happen when shit finally goes wrong. Although if you watch the trailer, uh-huh. you, you can sort of infer, but like you know it's gonna be bad. <laughs> Uh-huh. Oh, this movie is a is a w- is a, a a watch. It, it's a pot left to boil, and you watch it. It's not gonna boil. You watch it. It's not gonna boil. You look away. It's not gonna oh, boil. No, the lid. It's gone. The lid. <laughs> it's gone through the roof. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know this was gonna turn into a, a freak flick. I didn't know she was gonna when. Spoiler alert: When Kirsten Dunst pushes that damn bastard down the stairs. <sighs> Oh man, things took a turn falls for the worse. Falls for a minute. <laughs> oh my god, he falls for a quarter hour. You've seen Best in Show, obviously, right? Uh huh. Remember when Larry Miller is describing people when they jump from buildings? He's like, "This last guy was spinning around like a top. His head got <laughs> caught in a gargoyle's mouth. Pops off like a grape." <laughs> it was like that. I mean, you're literally watching a guy fall for like two minutes. Oh my god! Hitting yeah, everything. <laughs> <laughs> the sound design in this movie is so incredible. You hear every little creak. Like, it just, mm. you li- you're living in an old house. You really feel it. Like, all of her movies, it, it, she just, she really makes you feel these weird, cloistered, sexually uncomfortable spaces. Mm-hmm. She, with this, she succeeds in, uh, in, in previous movies, she'll stop at the atmospheric like somewhere is entirely atmospheric and the uh, emotional build or the the beef of the uh the characterization or the character driven moments are kind of like squeezed in there this film sets up an environment and succeeds in having like a whole arrangement or like a whole family of characters expressing themselves through that environment and in spite of it like trying to f- trying to have sex in this like creaky ass house becomes a problem or uh you know just even sitting outside in the heat is like a moment for these people to be characterized whereas in somewhere it's like air-conditioned room you're sitting on a couch but in this you're l fanning you're uh you're practically in heat and you're sitting outside in a wooden chair just like and the sun is splashing down on you. Um, it really just kind of makes this whole movie f- just have this texture and this life and has e- every moment imbued with the, the, the sense of the period. Um, similar to Marie Antoinette, uh, like we have this character development happening and um, the, the opulence of what's going on around every character uh, kind of enhances those moments but um i think that this setting imbues kind of like a a danger a temperature a a mistiness a darkness there's so many elements that are coming together to make this just such a it's it's really building building on all of the skills she's uh she's kind of gathered in all of her previous movies and doing something really fun i don't think that she uh i don't think she does anything particularly new but it does have i think like the what would be considered like a really rich and successful play and and i don't mean that because it's not like a good movie i mean i think that she's just doing something kind of formal and new with the structure of of this um based on like i don't know period dramas and dramas and kind of like entourage cast type things she sets up the structure and kind of 
brings it to life to the best of her ability, which uh, is at this point, um, she's getting more and more talented. I don't see why she's not going to be making uh, masterpieces for the rest of her life. Yeah, I mean, uh, as hermetic as this movie is, there's a real palpable motion tension to it that as much as i like something like somewhere somewhere doesn't really have it um both in the literal and metaphorical sense there's there's flesh and blood in this movie you know it it, Mm. it's it's a very visceral uh i hate to say sweaty again sweaty sort of a movie um since Uh this is since this is the last film of hers that will cover on the main feed do you want to go through your uh how you would rank sofia coppola's filmography <laughs> bennett you're a bit you're a lover of rankings so i'll indulge you i love making little lists as you know so my my, my favorite of sofia coppola's movies got to be marie antoinette i think it's the best i think it's i think it's one of the best movies of our young century i think it's uh really just an incredible piece of work mm-hmm. um yeah number two i would put the virgin suicides uh just a un- an uncommonly assured debut, really uh, a pretty masterful film. And to mm-hmm. think that she was like 28 when she directed it really makes me want to uh, commit a virgin suicide of my own, if you know what I mean. <laughs> um, uh-huh. The Beguiled would be my number three. Um, it- it's crazy that this film was met. Uh, well, it's not crazy that it was met with controversy, but like this film was either dismissed outright or just kind of ignored. And, um, I, I don't really? know. I think, it's, I think it's a pretty major work. I mean, besides it's, yeah, it's, it, what came out in the summer, it came out in July. Speaking of, I've told the story of when I went to go see this in theaters on the podcast. You'll remember it's one of the first episodes at Oscar Valley Horror Teaser. Those, oh, those kids playing wow. porn at me. Yeah, I was walking in. That was one of the last times I've driven. Oh, man. <laughs> I drove myself to the theater to go see The Beguiled by myself on a summer afternoon when I finally moved back in with my parents. <laughs> now, is that not a movie moment or a podcast moment? Yeah. And then I would say Lost in Translation is next. Uh, again, very good. Um, a victim mm-hmm. of its own success to a certain degree. And then, yeah, last for me would be somewhere. Uh, I would still rank it as the, uh, let's see, 13th best movie we've ever covered on Real Rap. Um, <laughs> it's, it's counting A Star is Born, which you technically weren't there for the, the episode on it. But uh, yeah, uh, I, again, I like Somewhere, I think, more than you do. I think it's... Uh, I don't know. I, I think she is batting, uh, what is it, six for six or seven for seven? Uh, she can uh, do no wrong in my eyes at this point. She doesn't have much of a, um, she doesn't have any like total flub flicks besides for me somewhere, but I think it's important in her, in her trajectory. Um, I think that the writing for The Beguiled really just kind of blew me away on how talented she is of a like with character development and uh, having just really revealing sentences happen uh in all of her movies uh characterizing people with like a single phrase or in one um encounter that kind of colors that character for the rest of the film i'm am i reading this correctly that she directed a uh a uh version of la traviata uh the opera yeah yeah she she's directed i think uh one opera before and in interviews she's basically described it as like doing a favor for a friend which like again i can see why people get annoyed by this sort of thing but i don't know oh my god she's so talented that i i'll really excuse any of these sort of like yeah i'm a rich kid sort of sensibilities yeah yeah 
I mean, she's a rich kid. We've we've determined that. Um, now, Bennett, you uh, famously said that you haven't been present for but a moment in your <laughs> life. Any uh, developments on that sentiment there? No, still pretty deliriously unpresent. I <laughs> got a few things I'd love to relate off my <laughs> That's That's just wonderful. That is just wonderful. Uh, we're going to hear a call from a friend named Ryan McCluskey. He's got a lot to say about this movie. Um, we got a zookeeper from the San Diego Zoo that's going to come in and bring a few apes on stage. Uh, Bennett. This is our last few moments together. Do you have any uh, closing uh, closing comments for our audience here? Um, my only regret is that I have but one life to give for my country. Thank you again for listening to Real Rap. We will see you next time. Hey, Real Rap. Uh, you know, uh, just your boy Ryan calling. Uh, hey, uh, excuse me. Um, <laughs> it's my Ben impression. Hey, real rap. I'm uh, just calling you from the Amtrak. You know, just like a regular Northeastern boy. Am I right? <laughs> what? Oh, uh, so uh, just just called because I uh, watched the Beguiled. <laughs> Am I right? The Beguiled. Sophia Coppola, really good stand-up. Uh, you know what? Yeah, people people shit on her, but you know, they don't know her. Am I right? They don't know Sophia. Like I know Sophia. Uh, Sophia, Sophia's a person. Excuse me. I mean, I'm in the middle of an Amtrak train, so I, you know I should probably get out of the. I should probably get out of that. Okay, so this is the bit. This is uh, that was the bit. Excuse me. The bit is over. I'm just talking now. Um. <clears throat> So what I meant to say was, uh, you know, I have a lot of thoughts about the Beguiled. I, I watched it twice, and so you know, I thought a lot about it. I saw it uh, on and on. And it's not compulsive, I promise you. Uh, you know, here's how I should start out. When I wrote the Beguiled on the paper, what I wrote was colon, uh, quote, highbrow horny. And, and, and I meant it. Um, I both thought uh, aristocratic and aroused when watching this film, and uh, I'm not ashamed about it. You know, I, I felt uh, I, I felt proud in that state, and, and I don't want to look back. You know, fault me, fault me for it. I dare you, fault me for it. But 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 frankly, um, I'm not sorry. <laughs> I'm not sorry at all. Uh, you know, it's opened my eyes both to Sofia Coppola but also to this whole genre that I think that she's emblematic of. Um, just to start out, I think what I liked the most about was this inverted the dynamic of a war film, of a civil war film. Um, you know, normally you're getting, you're cut, you're, you're cut and dry, like, uh, oh, the North is good, the South is bad. Uh, oh, boy. See all this war and violence. You know, uh, but ultimately... I gave you this, this totally overtly non, except for except for a few seconds, a non-violent film that had the women with all the power exerting it upon the men. Uh, when I think about this war, I think about all the <laughs> the bullshit that Americans would would associate.
namely the patriarchal violent relationship. Uh, hey, uh, men have all the power. Hey, they're uh, fucking the women. Oh, get get guess what else is new? Uh, and, and, and 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 it seemed like the beguiled uh, beguiled was 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 set out to to fuck with that thought in your head, right? Um, as soon as Colin Farrell gets in this room, he is subject to the whims of these women, whether they be Miss Martha, who is objectively like a 20-something, 30-something, or a child like Amy, right? Like, he, he, he needs them in order to survive because he is so vulnerable. And when I think about, you know, Angels in the Attic, when I think about, like, fucking Stonewall Jackson, when I think about, like, fucking all that bullshit... Namely, it's all—it's all about uh, you know how 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 this violence produced a moral good, right? But this film doesn't take take any moral stance. It is it's 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 objective in its ability to say like, ooh, look, this Union soldier uh, is uh, vulnerable and taken advantage of and killed ultimately, and uh, that that means that the South fucking <laughs> is never victimized by that's with with the objectively fucked up absence of any race in the film you know Sophia Coppola for all of what she seems to be as a genius for all of what she seems to be as a genius she totally doesn't talk about race um Edwina, the Kirsten Dunst character, is supposed to be a biracial character. She's supposed to inject race hardcore into the film from the start. But totally, totally forgotten though. You know, she she just like is washed over, she's not even talked about as being a biracial character. And frankly, maybe this is problematic on my own end. I respect Sophia Coppola for that. I think it's frankly it's very apocalypse now. It's like Listen, we're going to talk about a war, but we're not going to talk about, like, some of the more critical racial aspects of it. Like, we are going to gloss over them, for better or worse, and try and get to the core of what this means uh, in a post-racial world. As a, a you know, a, a, what a, core of what this means as a moral concept divorced from any racial concept. And, again, that's kind of fucked up as a person who is concerned about that in 2019 in, in it is it is something that's but at the same time I don't think we totally have the tools <laughs> to unpack everything that 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 means and so I appreciate that uh, one's ability to say like I'm fine but to get into the kind of meat of the story right um, we're we're talking about uh, Colin Farrell kind of dealing with. Uh, with a, with a pseudo-convent, right? Because when he's picked up, he's picked up by, what's her name, by Amy the Child, right? And so he, in a sense, is this hyper-vulnerable war veteran who is both a POW and, and kind of the good guy, in quotes. Um, at the same time, we're, we're very quickly taught that, like, you know, he is not someone to identify with. That he is, in fact, like an infectious agent. That like he is this bacteria that is going to fuck up all these these women's lives. And I think that's quite quickly conveyed through through their reactions, right? Like, as much as all these women are like 
Hardo horny, excited about like his presence. Uh, they at the same time are are, are kind of uh, horrified by it. They're like they're constantly debating amongst themselves. Sometimes it's them in the room, like whether or not they should be able to give him up to these like Confederate races to have him like ostensibly killed in front of their eyes, in front of these eight-year-olds, <laughs> in front of their mansion, right? Uh, and so, like, we are we are trying to identify with these women who are clearly the ones in power, who are clearly the ones with the, the like, um, I don't know, the moral perspective. But at the same time, like, we are taught that, uh, you know, we we know by the fact that we exist in 2018 that, that, that the victim, the object of our... The good guy... <laughs> think that we are him, right? So, I, I don't know. I, 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 on the whole, I think I, I dig, I dug this movie as a concept because of its moral ambiguity. Because with um, a situation in which giving us a hero, but immediately crippling them, both figuratively and literally, in our eyes. So another thought I had was um, uh, the fact that vice factors so heavily into the movie. You know, like everyone's fixated on on uh, on sex as the vice in the movie. Like these 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 poor girls are starved of attention, starved of a traditional life because of the fact that war has descended upon them. And so as a result, they kind of like have contorted their traditionally adolescent desires into, uh, you know, it's kind of like, ooh, Colin Farrell is certainly, like, you know, he may be crippled, but check out these abs. Like, uh, it's pretty gross. Um, but at the same time, it's very natural, very easy to identify with. Um, makes me think of all the vices that I have, frankly. Uh, as you can hear by the, the, the rumbling, um, I'm on an Amtrak. Uh, back from Philly to New York, LA. Um, sadly, you know, sadly the greatest city in the world, uh, leave the greatest city in America, Philadelphia, for the greatest city in the world, New York City. Um, and, and, you know, uh, I do feel better than you, but I don't feel great about it, if that makes it better. Um, I, because I have my own vices and that kind of, cuts into any superiority that I might otherwise feel. Namely, uh, I might live in Brooklyn, again, part of the greatest city in the world, New York City, but, but at the same time, you know, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm a normie, you know, I, I, I drink alcohol, uh, you know, I, I have addictions. Uh, one of my most common addictions is, uh, is, uh, gambling, um, and, and frankly, that's much if, if it passes through the greatest principality in the world, uh, Nueva Jersey, uh, New Jersey in English. Um, New Jersey is legalized gambling, which I have a severe addiction to. And so, uh, you know, whenever I'm trying to, whenever I'm trying to bet on the birds, as like every Northeasterner is probably uh, should do at some point in their life, you know, I, I, I like to take a train through Trenton and, and just, uh, I'll put twenty dollars on the birds beating everyone else on a Sunday. Something that comes to mind is 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 uh you know, is last Sunday I last Sunday the 
Birds were playing the Falcons. I, I, was, I was working on a Sunday, and uh, you know, I just I needed to put money. I needed to put money on Carson Wentz, and so I, I went to, I went to Penn Station, and I got on a path train, and I uh, went to Hoboken. Um, see, Hoboken, you might not realize, Hoboken's located in New Jersey, and I'm not sure if you're aware, but Hoboken's located in New Jersey, and uh, New Jersey has legalized not only sports betting, but online sports betting, and so that lets degenerates uh, like me from New York and also Pennsylvania uh, to venture into the borders of New Jersey to, uh, you know, put like $50 on the birds. And uh, I don't have $50 to burn, but, uh, you know, I do have $50 to uh, spend on something that I shouldn't. Um, you know, one might look at that as, as a self-contradictory statement, but I think they're just wrong. So, you know, fault me. Fault me if I grab a train from Penn Station, Hoboken, uh, hopping the turnstiles so not to pay a fare, and then opening up FoxBet.com and put uh, twenty to fifty dollars on the, the Philadelphia Eagles defeating the Falcons, and then immediately hopping on a train back to, 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 to the greatest city in the world, New York City, so that I, I don't have to, uh, you know, live in New Jersey. Um, and then just kind of hoping for the best and then losing, eventually losing both my 20 to $50. Uh, you know, I'm not really sure what the point of that is or how it's relevant to the dial, but, um, I, you know, I, I feel justified in it and I don't, I'm not angry at my, well, I'm angry at myself, but, you know, I, I, I try not to be too hard on myself just so that I can continue living, you know, uh, So I would say that, you know, for all of its, for all of its questions, the movie's kind of fucked up. Like, uh, she doesn't totally, like, portray race at all. Like, Edwina is supposed to be biracial, and they leave that totally out. I, I didn't realize that until I went to the Wikipedia page and was, like, reading some of the criticisms about the movie. Like, oh, shit, like, the, you know, obviously the movie doesn't even touch on the existence of black people. And for a movie about Civil War in the South, it's a glaring omission. Uh, and then I read the Wikipedia page, and it's like, oh, Edwina's supposed to be biracial. It's like, oh, shit, like, the author was trying to address that in this, like, sideways way, but that wasn't carried through, through, you know, uh, Sophia Coppola's portrayal of it. And I'm fine with that, as she conceived of it, you know, on some level, but I do think that it is kind of a glaring omission. Um, another thing that comes to mind is, uh, you know, for for as much as uh, this is a highbrow, horny movie, and I'm kind of down for it, like uh, the, the level of innuendo is is a little excessive. You know, they take advantage of the fact that this is largely like a girls' school and uh, most of the girls are underage, and so everyone besides, you know, uh, Elle Fanning and Kirsten Dunst and uh, Nicole Kidman is a non-sexual child. I think that they let them kind of, like, 
have lines that are otherwise out of line and are otherwise, like, pretty sexual. I didn't totally dig that. Um, another thing that comes to mind is, is the full minute of Zoom at the end. After they've killed Colin Farrell and stuck him outside the gates, they kind of just zoom into the house with its, like, colonnades and its, its iron gates and the rag tied on the, you know, on the flat. It's kind of, it, it strikes me as very Holocaust, and I think appropriately so. You know, the U.S. South is very often compared to kind of, um, you know, a fascistic society that, like, clearly has a fucked up racial schema that is enforced and eventually defeated in the same way that exists in World War II. But I'm not sure that, like, given the, the fact that they're zooming out on the house and the gates for a full minute, that they necessarily earn that the same way that, like, other movies about the South or other movies about the World War II, like, earn other ways for their plot. So I think she's trying to, like, hit on a trope that exists. Another thing. Um, oh, my God. So, at one point, like, when he starts to lose his mind, like, Colin Farrell, uh, is, like, becomes, like, quote, the evil guy, and, like, he, he, uh, he fucks up the little turtle that Amy has called Henry, and, uh, he, like, comes into the room, hobbles into the room after he's had his leg cut off. Hey, Amtrak, am I right? Newark, New Jersey, uh, hometown of my family, the McCluskeys, am I right? Anyway, uh, so, so Colin Farrell grabs this tiny turtle out of Amy's hands and throws it against the wall, and, like, after that point, like, he is, quote, the bad guy in the home. Um, that, that was a moment that I felt like Sophia Coppola, for better or worse, was, like, using the trope of a violent. Okay, I thought I was done, but I have one more thought. Uh, the thought is that um, it's a hot take, so prepare yourself. Are you sitting? I'm glad you're sitting. Anyway, um, it's 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 uh, when Corporal John is like about to die. The first time I watched this movie, I was like pretty high, and I thought that like Corporal John, when he's given the mushrooms, like he fucking knows he's about to die. Like, he is willingly committing suicide in front of all these women, like, because he wants to kill himself. Um, and frankly, I think that's more of an interesting ending. But the second time I watched the movie, I thought, like, oh, it became more apparent to me that, like, Kirsten Dunst's character, Edwina, like, doesn't totally understand that he's about to kill himself. And so her complicitness in denying the mushrooms is, like, a little less interesting and the fact that he like uh just gobbles him down like he's gobbling porno that he's in uh it doesn't necessarily have the same weight that it does when you realize like he has no fucking clue what comes next and he's just about to die unbeknownst to himself um but at the same time i certainly got hard by how how much Nicole Kidman wanted to see him die. Um, like, after he's gobbled up the mushrooms, like, Nicole is very excited. She's, like, making small talk. 
with, uh, with Elle's character about, like, the fucking embroidery she's doing or some shit. And it just, it became very apparent to me, like, how, how, like, how vindictive and how controlling her character is and how she flips from, like, wanting to fuck Colin Farrell to suddenly wanting to kill him. And the joy that she feels when she knows that she's going to get what she wants uh, really feels powerful to me uh, in a way that, like, she obviously has power throughout the movie. She is the most powerful character, but, like, suddenly we see her getting what she wants in a way that we are not able to feel at any other point in the movie because she never gets him in a way. Anyway, uh, hey, real rap, uh, uh, you're my favorite part of Philly. I love you guys.